Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Good morning. Howdy, I heard a howdy, wonderful. Uh, a couple of years ago, I switched to a front pocket wallet. How many of you carry a front pocket wallet? Guys, anybody? How many of you are still living in the dark ages of, of sitting on your wallet? Right, see, a front pocket wallet. How many of you didn't, didn't, until I just said what I said, have no idea what a front pocket wallet is? It's a wallet that goes in your front pocket. It's really convenient. So um, I did it mainly just for, um, I needed a new wallet, and I happened to walk, I, I was trying to solve the problem. Like, hey, look, there's a wallet here. It goes in my front pocket. I just, I didn't switch for any particular grand reason, but I switched to a front pocket wallet mainly because of cost and, and availability. Um, when I, did so, when I did so, it allowed me two opportunities. So the first one was to go through my wallet, right? Guys, you ever been through your wallet? Sometimes we treat uh, women's purses as if it's like this black hole you don't want to go, go near and find. But guys' wallets are terrible, right? There's stuff in there, right? You go through like, oh, look, there's a dry cleaning receipt. There's the, a rewards card for that place at the mall I ate at lunch. And if I go three more times and I get the free chicken teriyaki. Um, there's all these weird things in the mall. And we keep, you know, expired, um, expired gift cards and things like that. In fact, I found in my wallet what was probably uh, one of the greatest uh, white elephant gifts ever given to me. Okay, it was given to me by Matt Cassidy. And it was it was, we had this thing where it was a couple years ago, it was a $10 limit, right, for a white elephant gift. And he gave me $10 worth of partially used gift cards. <laughs> it was like 15 cards. Not a single one of them had more than a dollar on it. Okay, I had 37 cents at Sears. I had, you know, it was, just, it was crazy. You go, th- but all that stuff piles up, right, in your wallet. Um, the other thing that, that switching to a front pocket wallet did for me that I was surprised about was um, it cured a physical ailment that I didn't know the cause of, right? Um, I, had, I had noticed that I was developing some, some lower back problems. And I thought, oh, I'm just getting old, right? People have lower, have lower back problems than they get old. I didn't realize that sitting on my wallet was causing that. I switched to my front pocket wallet and almost overnight, my back pain went away. I'm gonna start selling front pocket wallets. No. Um, you don't know it, but if you're sitting on your wallet right now, you're not sitting down, you're sitting like this. And to compensate, your back is doing this. And so you're doing this, your back is doing this, and it's putting strain on your muscles in a way you might not realize. And so getting off your wallet will fix things. You know, when your body's out of whack like that, you sometimes get pain in one place because of a problem someplace else. You know, a lot of people don't realize that um, this is the, the origin of the medical field orthopedics. When you go to, what, do, what does an orthopedic doctor work on? When you go see an orthopedic surgeon, what do they work on? Knees and ankles and things like that, right? You have knee surgery and orthopedic doctor. And a lot of people think that that ped root is the same root as like pedestrian. It means foot. Um, it actually is not. Orthopedics, the root in that word actually means, is the same root as pediatrician, child doctor. The guy who developed the, the science of orthopedics wasn't trying to fix feet. He was trying to fix backs. And he figured out that if you, if you play with people's feet and get them all lined up, it's going to line up everything else. Straighten the ankle, straighten the knee, straighten the hips, it'll straighten the back eventually. But that's the way the human body is designed. It's designed to work in harmony and in concert. And in one part gets out of whack. You might not feel pain in that part. You might feel pain in some other part. You know, this is a sort of a a lead-in and a grand analogy to talk about the way we are all supposed to relate together in the church. 
See, the church is the body of Christ, and occasionally, um, life in the body of Christ can get difficult. It can get frustrating. It can get challenging because the purpose of the body of Christ is to put people who wouldn't normally fit together according to the world's standards and have us live together this new life in Christ. You see, um, the world organizes itself under different principles, and we are supposed to live in a world where um, because of Christ, we are, there are racial distinctions, our economic distinctions, our education distinctions, our gender distinctions, they, they, they fade away. But frequently when we try to live that new life together, we bring baggage with us. And that baggage can cause pain. And when, and when pain and friction develop, a lot of times we seek out comfort. We seek out comfortable old ways of doing and living things. One of my frustrations as you look over the gamut of, of churches across America is churches in America look more like the communities they're in than like Christians worldwide. It's kind of bizarre and weird and frustrating when you realize that, that, a, um, that a Christian in Austin, Texas might have more in common with an unbeliever in Austin, Texas than with a Christian in China or Nigeria or um, some other place across the world. Because the things that, that unite us sometimes aren't the things that are supposed to be our core distinctions. And um, it's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the ways in which we develop and understand our, our priorities. And I want to use as my text um, a passage from the book in the Bible that uh, if there was ever a church that was trying to learn the hard lessons of what it meant to be the church together, it was the church in Corinth. And so I'm going to look at a passage in 1 Corinthians today. Corinth was a cosmopolitan city of people from all, from all kinds of, of education and ethnic and, and religious backgrounds. And they were all trying to be together. And if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you see a church that is having a lot of problems and, and it's a fix-it job. Paul is writing to solve a lot of different issues that are going wrong. And in the midst of all of this, he highlights one specific way in which they're using their gifts collectively as the body of Christ. And he tries to draw attention to how they're supposed to be living together um, as a community to keep them from fragmenting the way that they had been. So if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And starting in verse 1, uh, Paul outlines a problem. Paul outlines a problem. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to, the, to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying there's a problem in the church in Corinth, and it comes from the fact that they had imported the way they were doing things or the way they were used to doing things in pagan temples into the church. Evidently, there were some people in the church who, were, um, who thought that they were the most spiritual individuals or the ones closest to God because they experienced some sort of ecstatic religious frenzy like was common in pagan religious celebrations. And so they were exalting themselves and people who didn't have this thing, this experience, they were marginalizing and pushing away and saying that you don't understand the core of what we're doing here. Now, I'm not sure uh, any of us would ever kind of misunderstand what we're doing for pagan, uh, for pagan worship or this is a pagan temple. But there are ways in which I feel like uh, the church in America has allowed the culture to creep in and change how we understand what we're doing here. Maybe Paul, if he was writing to us, he wouldn't say, um, stop treating the church like it's a pagan temple and stop having the expectations of worship like that. Maybe he would say things like, stop treating the church like a country club. Right? A country club is a place where you pay for membership, where you organize around people who look the same as you and act the same as you and make the same money as you. And when you go to a country club, you can be around like-minded individuals and you're not going to feel um, uncomfortable at all. 
And when things go wrong, you're allowed to complain because the purpose of a country club is to get service. Now, don't get me wrong. Fellowship is a key dimension of the church, but this is not a country club. Not only is it not a country club, it's also not a concert. You know, we have a, a, a very cool worship, worship center, and it's been used for concerts, and we have music instruments that you might expect to see in a concert, but this is not primarily a concert. We haven't gathered here today to hear a contemporary Christian music cover band. We've gathered here today to worship a God that we believe is present. We be, we, we came, we've come to worship a God who through Jesus is alive and powerfully present by his Holy Spirit. And we misunderstand if we, if we come to, to think of what we're doing here as just watching a concert because that makes, makes what happens up here, the, the church, and, and church is something that gets done to y'all. And if we're not careful, then suddenly your job is to figure out whether or not you were pleased when you leave. And if not, you go find a different concert you'd rather listen to. Don't get me wrong, worship, and specifically worshiping through music, is, is one key aspect of what we do, but we lose our focus if we think that this is a concert, like one other venue in, in a live music capital. But also, the, the church isn't just uh, not that. It's also not class. Some of you, we, we have a book open. Maybe, maybe you have a notebook and you're writing some of the things down that say, um, we're not engaged in class right now either. Um, we are trying to open up the Word of God and try to understand how our lives might be different because of of, um, because of who God is and how he's revealed himself through his word. And we are supposed to be increasing in knowledge. Paul tells the, the Colossians that, there's, that his desire for them is that they that grow in knowledge, but that growth in knowledge was so that they would walk worthy of God and please him in all respects. Sometimes uh, people can treat church like we've gathered here to, to learn more Bible facts, right? That somehow um, when you get into heaven, the, the, what, what, the way God judges it is he's going to um, check your church attendance and make you pass a theology exam. The purpose of this, purpose of reasons why we've gathered today isn't class. Maybe last, the, uh, what we've done here and, and the reason why this church exists and who we are together isn't a charitable organization. Also, missions, service, um, ministering to the people outside the world is a prime aspect of who we are uh, and what we're supposed to be about, but it's not the soul and sum total of what we're supposed to be as a body. Sometimes, sometimes we can, any of those dimensions, fellowship or, or worship or study or service, all of those things can be highlighted and centralized and say, this is the most important thing that we do, and anybody who doesn't do this isn't a real church or a most important church um, member, that the people who are engaged in this one activity, um, this is the center and the core distinction of who we're supposed to be. To that, Paul writes this letter. He wrote it to the Corinthians. He writes it to us. And in response to this problem, he outlines a couple of principles. Starting in verse 4. First, he's, he identifies the fact that there is a unity in the giver of all these gifts. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are, a variety, there are a variety of ministries in the same Lord. There are a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. You see, um, God gave you a passion for study, and you a passion for service, and you a passion for worship, and you a passion for fellowship, um, not so that you could make sure that that is the only thing that gets done in a place like this, but so that we all together can have a variety of gifts and accomplish a variety of different things in this world. There is a one giver of all these gifts, the same person who, the same spirit of God that, 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 that maybe instilled in you a sense of, of, of um, 
excitement and joy that comes from participating in, in, in worship through music is the same person, is the same spirit who, who instilled and inspired somebody else uh, to be passionate about missions or to be eager for study or to be committed to developing community. It's the same. There's a unity of the giver. And there's a unity in purpose. Verse 7, But to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another a word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another a faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts by the Holy Spirit. He goes through a list of all of these gifts that are supposed to be identifying us um, and that can, can be manifest and expressed throughout, um, throughout the church. My purpose today isn't to go through this laundry list and help you figure out what spiritual gift you have. My, my purpose today is to help us realize what verse 7 says, which is that to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is not a passive thing we're involved in. This is an active. In fact, this one verse um, has three chunks. You can just camp out on this verse all the time. To each one, every single person who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ has been given by the power of the Spirit. To each one has been given. What? A manifestation of the Spirit. What on earth does this mean? A manifestation of the Spirit. Manifestation just simply means to show. To show, to reveal. Um, Every one of us has been given a unique experience of God. Not because God changes, but because all of us come to God with different baggage. We come to God with different histories, different interests, different hurts, different brokenness, different sin. And God's experience with us, the way God has worked in our life, is unique. To each one has been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. God gave you this um, this manifestation of the Spirit, so that you could bless other people with it. By the way, this is what I think that, that we talk about. Sometimes we talk about giving God glory, and this is this vague term that sometimes we don't really define. This is what I think giving God glory means. See, God is immutable. You can't add anything to God um, by praising him. God doesn't need our praise. And so, and so why do we glorify God? What does it even mean? It simply means showing people what happens when you trust God with your life. To each one has been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He is, we are supposed to be showing other people what our experience of, of God is so that, so that we can show people. When you, trust, when you trust God with your life, this is the kind of thing that can happen to show that God has been doing a wonderful work in our lives and desires to do so in other people as well. We're supposed to be showing and drawing encouragement from other people. And so to that, after he develops these principles, Paul Paul gives us this powerful picture. It's, it might seem kind of trite, but it's an important thing for us to, to center on. Paul gives us the picture of the body of Christ. For even as the body is one, yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, we are all made to drink of the same spirit. Paul says, everybody, the body we together are the body of Christ. And he, he draws this analogy simply to remind us that the body is supposed to be different. We live in a world where, where churches become very homogenized and, and, and very similar, and, of, and, of, and it becomes, you know, we, we treat each individual church as if it's one thing, you want something different, go to a different church. The body itself is supposed to be variegated. Just like any body, we have different roles to play within the same community. And he draws two principles from this. He draws two clear um, analogies that, that, that are important for us to, to understand about what it means for us to be the body of Christ. 
First, we are supposed to be different. Look at verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less of a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the body parts were, if, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each of them, in the body just as he has desired. If you need to camp out on that verse for a second, camp out on that. The, God has placed each member exactly where he has wanted it. You are exactly where you need to be. God has placed you where you are most able to serve him in a place where you can bless other people. But not just has God given us, um, we're supposed to be living in a community where we are, we are different and living together in, in those differences to bless one another. But more visible doesn't equal more valuable. Look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the head, I have no need of you, the hand. Or again, the head, to the, the, head, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which, de- which, which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And on the less presentable members become, uh, become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the members that were lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. More, more visible doesn't mean more valuable. There are, a, there are a whole bunch of things that, require, that are required for us to hold ourselves together. And there's a, sometimes there's, a, there's a, a way in which we organize and inspire people to serve and be a part of a community that presents that, like the stuff that happens on the stage or in, or in visible, invisible places, if they're, they're the more valuable thing. And then there's some grunt jobs that people just have to do. And those are the ones that you've got to suck it up and do. And maybe one day you can work your way up and, and maybe, be, maybe you can put on the show. God has composed the body um, so that we all have a part to play in holding itself together. Um, And just because there are certain parts of the body that are more visible, it doesn't mean those parts are more valuable. It is far more likely that that people who are um, ministering to children or, or, or serving behind the scenes in ways that you couldn't possibly see have a greater impact for the kingdom of God than a lot of people that you may see on a regular basis. There is a... Um... There's a powerful verse in Ephesians where Paul puts this, um, puts this in, um, in stark contrast. He says in Ephesians 4.16, From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We are held together by what every joint supplies. When, when one muscle's out of whack, it causes all things to get out of whack. Um, when... Uh, the goal is to grow up, and we can only grow if every person, every, every part of the body is doing its role to play its part in the kingdom. So Paul drives this point home. Paul, Paul says, fine, um, you understand the problem. Uh, hopefully you understand these principles. Finally, what is the point in all of this? How, what am I supposed to take, take away from this? First, you are part of a bigger picture. It's so easy sometimes to treat, to treat what we do in, in a consumer mindset that, that, makes, that makes church just one more thing that we go get services for. Verse 27, Paul says, Now you are Christ's body and individually members in it. You are Christ's body. Now this is where my, my Greek expertise can come in handy. The you here isn't singular. 
It's plural. And so if this were the Texan translation, it would say, not you, but. And actually, I found out that y'all isn't even, y'all isn't even correct. Turns out that one is you, two to four is y'all. And five or more is all y'all. All y'all. Now, all y'all are Christ's body and individually members in it. So this is the wonderful, amazing thing about, about how Christ organizes the church. Sometimes we focus on the individual and we lose the big picture. Sometimes we focus on the big picture and we lose the individual. Paul says it's both. You individually are part of a bigger picture. All y'all are the body of Christ. And individually, you are members in it. This is the amazing thing about, about uh, the way in which uh, God works in each of our lives. See, there are two extremes that you can get to sometimes when you think about how God works in us. And one of them, one extreme is the, uh, is the consumer mindset, and one extreme is sort of a military mindset. The consumer mindset says this, God cares about me individually, God has a unique plan for my life, and I am the center of the universe, right? And so, and, and the focus is on me and what God is doing to me. And the other extreme says, no, 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 there's a big picture. God has a big plan, and it's for his glory. But the problem with the extreme on this position where, where you're only focused on God's big plan is that sometimes it treats the individual like it's grist for the mill. Like God's a general, and God has this big plan, and you're a soldier, and it's not going to work out too, too well for you. You're going to storm the beaches, but when we win the battle, I'm going to get the glory, and it's going to be great. This is the amazing thing about how God organizes. He has a big plan that's for his glory and for our good. He is working all things um, to their appointed end, and that appointed end will, be, will show him to be a good and wise and loving and holy and amazing God and will be a, a, one that, a plan that will uniquely and individually bless each and every person. All y'all are the body of Christ and individually members in it. You're part of a much bigger picture. It's a picture that's, that's beyond you, but at least for you as well. Second, find your part and play it. Find your part and play it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles and second prophets and third teachers and then miracles and the gifts of healing and helps. And he goes through this laundry list of all of these different uh, things that can happen in the church, all these different gifts uh, that, are, that are used throughout, throughout all of this. And he goes, God's, God's given everybody a gift. Now go find it and use it. Find your part and play it. Now, um, you shouldn't expose your word. I don't know what my part is. This is where it gets amazing. Paul says, uh, he tells the church in Ephesus, you don't have to go looking. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, a very famous passage where he goes, you have been, um, you've been saved, or, for a grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself, it's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. And then verse 10, he says an amazing thing. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has laid out in front of you to walk in. You don't have to go looking for what God wants you to do. Paul says he's laid it out in front of you just to walk in it. Find your part and play it. Find the place where you can meaningfully serve. Find the place where you believe you have a contribution to make. Find the place where God has laid out a work for you to walk in and walk in it. Because we're held together by what every joint supplies. When you don't do the thing you do, we lack something. We're not held together. We're not strong enough to build ourselves up in love. We're the sum of our parts. We're held together by, in some small way, by your contribution to the body. 
And last, don't get so focused on this that you miss there's something more. There is still a more excellent way. Paul ends this whole chapter after having laid out all of these things about how to organize and understand our role and responsibility in the church, to understand the commitments we're supposed to have. Uh, Paul says, um, earnestly desire the greater gifts, but I will show you a still more excellent way. Paul says, don't get so focused on trying to figure out what your gift is and so, and so, and so inwardly turned and so, so focused on your own navel that you're trying to figure out um, what your skill set is and where you're placed, that you forget that the bigger picture is what follows in chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13, if you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard it. Um, it's the love chapter, right? Paul goes, the more excellent way is love. If you lose your way, if you're confused about what your gift is, if you've if you um, have no idea how you can most meaningfully serve, simply start with trying to love one another. And he spends the next chapter saying, this is love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is all of these things. How is this hitting you this morning? What did you come in here expecting this morning? How is God trying to get a hold of you? Maybe, maybe uh, you're a new follower and you've in Christ, and, you've, and you haven't realized that God is calling each one of us not just to be uh, passive, uh, passive spectators in, in the grand scheme of the church, but to be active participants in a community life. Maybe, maybe you, uh, you don't understand that, that you have a role to play, and maybe you don't even know how to find that role. Maybe you've been, maybe you've allowed the bad ways in which the culture has, um, has seeped into the church to corrupt maybe what you view of of what's going on here. Maybe, maybe it's been a long time since you haven't left here uh, overly critical. Maybe, uh, maybe you've been the passive spectator of something that you thought it was your job uh, to judge, to pass judgment on. Maybe uh, you've just come to worship and to study and then to leave and didn't realize that God is calling you to be a part of a fellowship, that you have a role to play in the community life of the other, other believers. It's one of those weird things that happens in, in a church, uh, church setting that, that we dim the lights, and sometimes you, it can feel like we are at a concert where we're sitting individually in a crowd. But we all have a mutual obligation to each person sitting on either side of us. That we have a role to play in their lives and their us. We have, um, God is calling every one of us to find the, the spots that we can um, and serve meaningfully. Not to guilt us into, into doing the uncomfortable work, but to find the place that God has equipped us to serve and to find joy in doing so. That, God, that this church has needs and that uh, you have a gift that fits those needs. What is your gift? What is your contribution? How is this body held together by what you, in some small way by what you provide? How are we equipped to build up ourselves together in love. Let's pray. Father, it's so easy to allow all of the different, different aspects of the world to come crashing in. It's so easy to allow the, um, the ways in which uh, the culture organizes itself to infiltrate and, and have its effect on us. It's so... Um, so easy to retreat back and to surround ourselves by like-minded individuals who, who look just like us. Thank you for the reality that you call us to be a part of this thing called the church. And the church is, is something that transcends 
uh, education and economics. It transcends race and gender. It transcends all of those things. And it's supposed to be a tapestry of, of what you ultimately are going to do in this world. Father, grab a hold of our hearts. Speak to us uh, speak to us deeply. Help us to understand. Convict us where we've, we've, we've had wrong expectations. And show us the good works you would have us walk in. Help us to identify ourselves primarily as your followers. Help us to see ourselves as um, people who are bound together in love and in service to the one who's redeemed us. And show us those good works that we can walk in so that we can be built up together and strengthened by what every joint supplies. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.